My first memory actually came to me as a dream, but I'm counting it as a first memory because it's in there. I I told this to my mother um, years ago. I said, I had this dream where I was a a baby in a car seat in the back of a car facing the fence that was in front of our childhood home. And I remember the car started rolling towards the house. Hmm. And and I just remember being this baby, watching this house get bigger and bigger outside the car windows. And and I think as a baby, you probably don't have any sense of fear. So I don't remember being afraid in the dream. Um, and I obviously woke up before anything happened. And when I told my mom about this dream, she said, that's so strange. That actually did happen. Um, I think my sister accidentally shifted the gear shift to neutral and we started rolling. Mm. And a family, a distant family member of some kind, probably some uncle, he jumped into the car to put it into park before anything could have happened. I don't think we rolled far, but I still count it as my first memory. And I think I must have been a year old or 18 months old. That's crazy that you had a dream about it as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is weird because it just makes you wonder how much else is left in your subconscious that you don't remember consciously. Exactly. So, Victoria, tell us, who are you, where are you, and what are you currently working on? My name is Victoria Coster. I am currently on my couch in my apartment in Miami Beach, Florida, Hmm. and I'm currently working on too many things. I am in a writing intensive workshop with an editor friend of mine who I met at a writer's retreat last October. Uh, And I'm also holding together and working with a team of 15 people at work. I work for Compass Florida. I'm a regional marketing director. We're a real estate brokerage. So just learning as we go about how to keep a team connected and invigorated and excited during COVID times. Mm. And how's that been or what new opportunities do you have now that maybe say you didn't have a month ago? I think the new opportunity is I have team members between here in Miami all the way up to Palm Beach County and across the state to Naples, Florida. What I really like is how the current climate has leveled the playing field. Everybody's in the same room now, right? We're all Mm. in the same virtual space where before I perhaps had team members that felt a little bit more disconnected because they were always the ones in video calls while some of us got to be in person. Now everybody's on a video call and, and I think it's, it's weirdly enough brought us closer together because we're able to see things that were perhaps small sort of Swiss cheese like holes before that Mm. have become huge gaps when, when the situation changed that now we're all working together to course correct and to fix and to, to iterate on and make better. Um, So I think the opportunity that I see for our team is how can we get better through this and what are we taking from the COVID climate into, you know, a hopeful future where we get to go back to the office. And I think separate from that, I've also been given an opportunity to expand my team to a new region. So I'm kind of debating if that's something I'm going to do, how I would do it. And that's coming in really fast. Sounds good. I'm interested, Victoria, in your writing. Are you writing a book or tell me more about it? Um, I wouldn't say I'm writing a book. It's not that formal right now. I think what I'm exploring is poetry, a little bit of what my editor calls lyrical essays. I'm I'm sort of exploring, uh, as everybody, right, your, your childhood, the things that you don't talk about, the the, the sort of memories and, and perhaps traumas that get locked in that uh, 
your subconscious protects your conscious mind from remembering kind of like my mm. dream I guess yeah and so it's a lot of free association writing but my editor is now getting me to be more sharp with my word choice and my my impact and and it, it's really hard to be honest to yeah. sit at a desk and look at the same exact thing over and over and over again so I think maybe in the future I'd like to have a book done but it's not something that is uh, on some kind of deadline or some kind of word count right now. It's more exploratory and, and exercising the demons, mm. so to speak. Interesting. Mm. Um, so, Victoria, what would you say is one of your greatest successes? I would say my team at work is is one of my greatest successes. I, uh, I, I built this team from scratch almost five years ago, and we started as a team of one, which was me. And now we're up to 15 people across the state. And uh, I think just the way that we've we've all kind of put in work to create the culture that we have of collaboration and raising hands and reaching across different markets to help each other. Everyone is willing to put in the same amount of energy and effort. And, and I have a team of humans that bring their very best every single day. And uh, I'm really proud of that. I, I, I don't know how it happens, to be honest mm. with you. I think it's one foot in front of the other and, and making choices and falling on our faces and getting back up and saying, you know what, I screwed that up. That was my fault. Um, so I'm really, really proud of how far we've come. And I think we're, we're actually putting out our best work ever right now. And I make sure that the team knows that and that we take our what I call confetti angels. When we see them, you, ha you have to be able to point out your wins and, and celebrate them as they come. Um, so yeah, I think the team is my my biggest success. And I don't even consider it my team. It's as much as I can use the phrase our team, I do, mm. because I didn't build this by myself. And and I don't like that sense of sole ownership that the word my brings to the equation. So unless I'm with someone else that has their own team and it's confusing if I say our team, <laughs> I say our team. Very good. And the flip of that question is, what would you say is one of your greatest challenges? I think... Throughout my life, my, my greatest challenge has been asking for help. And I think professionally, I've gotten to a place where because I'm a leader, I, I'm used to being able to say, who can help do this? Who can help do that? It's not as personal. You know, I'm not, mm. I'm invested in the work, but it doesn't feel like there's a sense of my identity that is challenged by asking for that kind of help in the workplace. But I, I have a very, very hard time asking for help when it comes to life, whether it's from my husband or my mother or my friends. Um, I think the way that I overcome it is just taking small steps to be vulnerable mm. and seeing what happens, but also reminding myself that I don't have to make it mean anything more than someone is not available to comply with a request when they say no. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm not valid or that, that my request was not important to them. It just kind of means people are going to do whatever they want and sometimes they'll do what you ask and sometimes they don't. And that doesn't change my sort of lovability and worthiness based on somebody else's external response. And I can do that at work. It's very easy to do at work, but mm. at, outside of work, I think uh, I'm always learning. So I, I'm hoping to overcome it by taking what I learn at work into life without feeling like a weird manager when I'm not at my office. I'm not mm. trying to tell people what to do in my personal life yes yes that's super interesting so would you say that you have a different side to your personality when you're in work or would you be in work mode and then you'd be sort of different outside of work or 
mean, I, I generally, I think I'm pretty integrated. I feel like what's different at work versus outside of work is as a manager, you know, as a director of a team that you, you do have to be mindful of the kind of information that you filter downward to your team mm. or that you filter upward to your own boss. Uh, and I'm mindful of that. I think that perhaps sometimes that that changes the amount of transparency given, I don't know, confidential situations that perhaps it's not the right time to tell the team about yes. because of a million different factors. Uh, generally speaking, I'd like to think I'm pretty similar, but I do think that the the comfort in asking for help in the workplace versus outside the workplace is the biggest sort of differentiator between my personality in one place or the other. Mm. It's interesting. So if we could take you in a time machine today, Victoria, and you could mm -hmm. have a few moments with your 18-year-old self, what mm -hmm. sort of advice would you be given to her? I would tell her to pick up a pen. Um, I think 18-year-old Victoria had not really remembered that writing was uh, just like one of the few joys of her life. And I think as when I was younger, um, all this talk about being vulnerable, I internalized a lot of feelings. And so mm. I didn't ever really speak to anyone about how I felt. And it got to a point where I didn't understand how I felt because I was so compartmentalized. So I wish that 18-year-old Victoria had been okay with, maybe you don't need to tell anybody how you're feeling, but you can write it down and not share those pages with anybody. And at least you would have some space from it and some perspective. I also would have told 18 year old, year old Victoria not to go to Gainesville to follow that boy to college. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would have been better served going somewhere else, but it all worked out in the end. Mm. It's super interesting, Victoria, because I get a sense that you're very self-aware, you are a driven leader, and it seems as if you are exploring the real vulnerable side of yourself, even answering the questions you are, for someone who says that, they don't like asking for help maybe outside of work. You seem to give away, a f a, you, you, you seem to be very vulnerable and not uptight. So is this a journey that you're, you've just started on or just interesting? Yeah, yeah, and, and thank you for that. Um, I think it is a journey that maybe I started going on in earnest early last year, 2019, mm. doing a lot of personal development and writing and going a lot on a lot of, uh, solo trips, you know, when we were allowed to get on commercial airplanes. Yeah. I, last year, I went to Hawaii. I went to Dallas. I went to Mexico, as I mentioned, for a writer's retreat. So it's been a really interesting sort of slow rediscovery of myself that mm. I'm enjoying, but that at other times feels like a total drag. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because yes. Because sometimes you find things that you don't want to find. And, and I consider myself a pretty self-aware person. But then I actually took an Enneagram test a couple months ago and it told me my self-awareness was quite low. So I, I kind of was surprised by that. And it made me think about when I took statistics in college and you walk out of a stats test and you're like, I think I probably got an A on that. And you come back with a C minus or a D mm. and you think you didn't even understand the questions and you didn't even know what you didn't know. And so I wonder if that's where my self-awareness is, which I'm totally okay with. I think there's plenty of time to figure it out. That's super interesting. I didn't know you could do a test to check out your self-awareness. Yeah, it it's a, this particular one was called an Enneagram personality test. So it, it, it puts you into one of nine personality types 
And uh, the one that I came out to be was number an Enneagram two, which is called the considerate helper. Yes. But there's different ones. There's the the challenger. There's the adaptive peacemaker. My husband, he's an Enneagram nine, adaptive peacemaker, the quiet specialist, Enneagram five. So I actually made it, as many people on my team as possible take the test so we could all understand each other a little better, what our triggers are, how to work with them, what our strengths are, what our blind spots are. It was very cool. Interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Um, as I was listening to you talking about vulnerability, I'm curious to know, have you came across Brené Brown yet? Yes, I have. I actually watched her her uh, Netflix special a couple months ago with my husband. And I think I listened to a string of Brené Brown podcasts on my flight to Dallas, I, I remember. I love the podcast. I love the podcast. Just your, the language you were using, the way you were speaking, I was like... You have to have heard of Brené Brown. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love about Brené Brown is that she talks about courage and vulnerability being the same thing versus being opposites. Yes. Um, and I think that that's something that perhaps Americans, if not the world at large, could could get better at being okay with vulnerability, not being a weakness and being our strength. Honestly, when see when someone I see or hear someone being vulnerable, I view them as being a powerful person. Because I think, yeah. yeah, it's just like something about them. It's like there's nothing they hide. It just shows they're so brave and comfortable in their own skin. So I yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. Um, so tell us this, Victoria. If you had one thing you could recommend to us all, it could be a book or a podcast or even anything you find super useful on your entrepreneur journey or just in life in general, what would that be? I think the most interesting thing that I would recommend right now is this concept of cognitive therapy. And and the person that I would recommend is Brooke Castillo. She has a podcast called The Life Coach School. And the entire idea of cognitive behavioral therapy is that we choose our thoughts and our thoughts then create feelings in our bodies, Mm. which are just sensations in our bodies. And those feelings create actions which drive results. And so the only thing within this model, and it starts with a neutral circumstance, right? Something Mm. happens and it's a fact, whatever that circumstance is, we have a thought about it, which makes us feel a certain way, which makes us act a certain way, which gives us a result. We can't change a neutral circumstance, but we can always change our thoughts, which means everything under that T line is within our control. But it starts with unsubscribing, quote unquote, from the thoughts you're having that are not useful to you so she has Brooke Castillo is just like one of the queens of this this model is what she calls it and she has all kinds of podcasts about learning about what your brain does how it ticks how to trigger your prefrontal cortex how to know when you're being um sort of taken taken control over by your lizard brain which is like Mm. your Seth Godin talks about this a lot right your your primal brain the one that's interested in your survival um, so I would recommend Brooke Castillo, especially now for, for anyone kind of sitting at home wondering what to do with themselves. It, it, there's a lot you can learn about how your brain works. And, and I think the more you understand that your brain is made to have thoughts, that's what it's designed to do. The more you can realize that like, there's nothing wrong with our brains. They're just doing their jobs. But we can learn how to make those jobs work for us. I am sold. I am going to get straight <laughs> on that podcast. I love She's the sound amazing. of it. <laughs> well, it's well saying that you're a market in Victoria because you just positioned that podcast like I need to listen to that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. If you could send the world an email right now, um, 
what would you be saying to them? If I could send the world an email right now, I would tell the world to stop checking their emails. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> the answer is not in the inbox. I, I think that's what I would say. And I would also tell the world to turn off your push notifications for emails and mm. decide when you're checking your inbox and when you're not checking your inbox. Don't let that dopamine hit of one extra unread email kind of trigger you into this pleasure seeking state of what's what's on the other side of that unread message. Mm. I, I disabled my notifications on my emails back in like 2010. And on my Facebook and on my Instagram, I only check those things when I feel like it. I don't have push notifications kind of flashing at my brain at all hours. So I would That's tell the world so to stop good. checking their inbox. <laughs> so, so good. Tell me this out of interest. Um, so with your team, obviously, as you're in contact a lot, would you have, like, trying to encourage that in any way you can while it's working, would you have, like, set times that you would recommend people to check their inbox or maybe this is something that wouldn't work in the workspace? I, I, I'm able to do it at work because I don't work directly with our customers in the way that my team does. So I actually do two 30 minute blocks. This is what I'm testing now. Two 30 minute blocks dedicated just to checking emails. And I put those blocks in red on my calendar twice a day. So twice a day for 30 minutes at a time, check your emails and let that be all that you're doing. Uh, I do encourage the team to time block separate from just email checking. You know, when are you most creative and let your high level strategic work happen within that time? And when do you need to be more reactive and, and set out time where you're, you know, answering phone calls, answering emails and incoming tickets and requests. So I think everybody can definitely be served by figuring out where their brain works best for different types of work. And to literally, my, my team calls it my Skittles calendar, calendar out your day based on your natural sort of workflow and, and mental space and, and be able to leverage where your brain is at any given moment. Mm, that's interesting. So would you schedule out like most of your day? Like I, I, like I would be a person, I have to admit, that would just check my emails whenever I see a new email. I'm like, okay, I'll check it. Yeah, yeah. But, but I wouldn't have thought of scheduling out a time to do that. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I think if, if you, and what I tell the team, especially now, is that if you don't control your time, somebody else will. Mm. Uh, so if you look at my calendar at any given time, I, I block out everything from a sunset kayak with my husband to a road trip to West Palm Beach to an all-team meeting at work and lunch and uh, strategic work. I also block out time for ser what I call servant leadership. I have mm. a document on my uh, work email that's called servant leadership and anything anyone on the team asks me to do goes into that document with a committed deadline and the initials of the person that asked me for it and every once in a while I have servant leadership time blocks where I go into that doc and I say okay Meg asked me to do this I promised her I would get it to her on this day let me close that loop mm -hmm. and then I strike through everything as I kind of cross those off my list uh so it kind of, nobody's a multitasker, right? We all think that we can multitask, but really we're not doing anything well when we're trying to do seven things at the same time. Yeah, yeah, so like true. brush your teeth and check your phone, you know, like walk around your house while you have your toothbrush in your mouth. Why are we doing, why are we trying to do everything at once when there's plenty of time to do everything in a mindful, thoughtful way? It's very, very good advice. Very good advice. Victoria, would you like um, everyone to hear one of your poems? I would. I would love that. Love to hear one. There is a poem that I wrote that I would love to read. It is called Maker. 
So I'll go ahead and get started. Sounds good. Just before, the swollen doors groan startles the moon, and a deft hand backslaps the nightlight's watchful eyes out of its skull. As a pair of eyelashes rustle like the whispering leaves of every unripe mango tree outside, and Roladin shudders smother the only way out. In the widening gap between a gasp and the breath that does not follow, where a petal pink mouth is drowned by latex digits that reek of suede and scalpel, and one milky pupil memorizes that shadowed face, there is a space. Where a single word sinks its talons deep in a rattling chest and knits its five slithering letters into budding bones that play weary hostess to the uninvited guest and know what happens next. Beneath the blinded window, the trio of Rottweilers stands sentinel, howling against the word and its sin in a round nursery rhyme, over and over and over, for ears that do not hear. Maker. Wow. Super, super interesting. Do you know what, Victoria? I found that amazing to listen to. One, because... I don't read poetry too because I was tr- I was trying to figure out the whole story and listen and it was so captivating it was like <laughs> so many amazing words together I'm like and I, I could be totally wrong here like because I might be really reading it wrong and it's not because of your poetry it's because I don't read poetry but it sounded to me as if this was about someone dying Did uh, I you know what's so interesting is uh, it isn't but uh, I could see why that it's a sort of death. I could see mm. why that would be what you what you took from it. But I enjoyed it. It was like it was one of them poems. Of like, tell me more. Tell me, you know, it was so good. <laughs> Thank so, you. Very good. Brilliant. And it tell us this. Is there anywhere online or anything at the moment where you're putting up more poems or if anyone wanted to listen to Yeah, well, right now, my only sort of outlet for poetry is Instagram, which is obviously not the right medium for words, but here we are. So my Instagram handle is at Victoria underscore Sampaio, S as in Sam, A, M as in Mary, P as in Peter, A-I-O. So that's where I post really mediocre black and white photos with my words that I hope are less mediocre than the photography itself. (laughs) Uh, And there's... um, there's a pretty good amount there. I actually, I, I put out six different posts at once about quarantine and the first, I think, 42 days of quarantine. So those are the most recent ones. Super interesting. I'll link that in the notes and I'm going to check that thank out myself. You. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun.